Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. So let me ask you a question. Pull the house lights up, can we, so we can all see? All right, so um, when you see this sign, what is the first thing that goes through your mind? Turner Burn. Yep. You know, uh, at, at my, um, my wedding, the groomsmen who are walking the people down the aisle, the ushers, I guess, they're asking people, do you want smoking or non-smoking? i actually seen pictures that, or, or people asking for, for eternity, you want smoking or non-smoking? When you see this sign, though, you've probably seen them on the side of the road, right? You've seen somebody at a corner somewhere. You've seen somebody um, maybe yelling this or talking about this. Or you've just heard a preacher talking about it. And it, it, it conjures up a thought, right? Is the thought normally positive or negative? It's normally negative, right? When we see the words, repent now... We normally think that that is a bad thing. We normally think that it's something that we are, um, um, something is bringing to light our own sin. And quite honestly, when we hear somebody say, repent, we want to take our anger out at them. We want to say to them, don't judge me. How, how can you, you know, what, what, what gives you the right to say that to me? But here's the deal. The truth is, repentance is necessary for salvation. Repentance is, is the key that unlocks a relationship with God. In the scripture, we find repentance preached from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Repentance literally means to change your mind or to change your heart, to change your, your thinking. It's to agree with God about what God says and in agreeing with God, we're now going to let the rest of our body, the rest of our life, fit with what God says. We find that, that repentance is preached through Genesis, through Revelation, through the prophets. He's, he's preached through the, 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 the fathers, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We find that repentance is preached by John the Baptist. We find that Jesus himself preached the message, repent. So to repent is to turn, is to change your mind. But now here's what I want you to see. Repentance is not a bad thing. Repentance is not something that we should fear and not, it's not something we should shy away from. It's actually a great expression of God's grace and his love. When God says to you and to me, repent, what he's really saying is, I want our relationship back. See, we look at repentance as what we're turning from, and that's really, even though we are turning from something, what we really should do is understand that repentance is turning to, because what God wants above all else is a relationship with you and me, his creation. He wants a relationship because as a father, that's what fathers do. I was walking through... Um, my home last night, getting some, getting some things straightened up around the house. Shannon uh, and Hannah, my middle daughter, if you don't know our kids, they left yesterday about 1 o'clock to go to Georgia. Hannah is racing in a marathon or something. Um, but she packed her room because she's not coming back. She's going off to school from there. And so I walked into her room, and I had helped her pack her car. So we, we got all of her stuff into her little dinky Toyota Camry. Um, 
and, and of course, it was like a low rider at this point. You know, it's, it's, it was definitely bumping the ground on the back. But I walked into the room, and I had this, this sense of loss. I had this sense of, of, of emptiness. Why? Because I know that Hannah brightens the day. If you know my daughter Hannah, she just, she's just a joy. And it's, it's overly complicated, not complicated, it's overly exacerbated because in the room next to her, I walked into my other daughter's room, Sarah. She doesn't know that, she's finding out now. And I know that she's leaving in the next 20 days to go off to Kentucky to work at a church there. And so I'm, I'm experiencing this loss of my kids and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm glad I like my wife, and I'm glad she likes me, because otherwise we'd be in a world of hurt. Now, I do have the human vacuum cleaner still living at the house, maybe for another year. That's, by the way, I just got to tell you, I walked into the house a, a week ago, and my son is sitting on the couch, no shirt, which is normal. Of course, if I had a body like that, I probably wouldn't wear a shirt anyways. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, he... In a, no, no, in a pair of shorts, no sock. He's sitting on the couch, you know, watching Netflix. On his lap is a plate and a pile of bacon that tall. I walk in, I'm like, son, did you kill a pig? I mean, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just having lunch. Where, where, where's the bread? Where's the tomato? Where's the mayonnaise? Salt and pepper. You're not having a BLT, you're having a B. You're having a plate of beef. I'm like, you know how much 16 ounces of bacon cost? Give me some of that. I mean, it, it's, in fairness, he did call me about 20 minutes earlier and say, hey, Dad, I'm making some bacon. Notice some bacon. Not a pack of bacon, some bacon. Would you like me to make you some? My, my, the words I said were wrong. No, sir, I'm good. What he heard was, okay, great, eat it all. But anyways... So, so what I love is relationship with my children. That's the way it's supposed to be. As a father, I love my kids, and my kids mostly love me. And so there's a relationship. And here's the thing. When they leave, there's a sadness because they're no longer present, but, but they're not leaving under bad terms. They're leaving under good terms. They're leaving with a relationship intact. There's just a distance Repentance is necessary because God didn't leave us. We left God. And when we left God, we left under dire circumstances. We left under a strained relationship. We left with the thinking of, I can do it my way. I got this. I'm good. I don't need your rules anymore. I don't need your help anymore. I am the master and commander of my own ship. And the Bible says that in order for us to be restored back to God, we must repent. In Acts chapter 3, this is the, this is the, the finishing words of a sermon that we've been talking about the last three weeks from the Apostle Peter. Remember, Peter and... John were walking into the temple, or they were walking through the temple gates, and they see this crippled man. And as he was there laying crippled, begging, he, he simply asked, give me some money, please. I need some food. I need something. And Peter looked at him and said, we don't have any silver or gold. We have no cash to give you. But what we do have, we will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up. 
and walk. And the Bible says very specifically that Peter then reached out his hand, grabbed this lame man who was lame from birth. He had never known strong ankles and feet. He lifted him up, and when this man began to be lifted up, the Bible says that his ankles and his bones and his feet became strong underneath him, and he suddenly, for the first time ever, experienced what it meant to walk and to dance and to move. He was so excited, he began to dance undignified, no doubt. He was leaping and praising the Lord. And all the people around started asking themselves, what is this strange thing? Isn't this the crippled man from birth? And then Peter saw that God had opened up an opportunity for the greatest story ever told, the gospel of his kingdom. And so Peter began to preach by saying, why do you say this is strange? Why are you astonished at what God would do? And then he said, do you think that we had anything to do with it? No, we're just men. It was the powerful name of Jesus that caused this man to walk. And then Peter said to the crowd, now remember, this is a Jewish crowd, right? So they have a history. They have a background. They know the scriptures. He said, you killed Jesus. You handed him over to die. You did unspeakable things. And the Bible says that as he began to tell them this, they, they, they were listening and they were astonished. And then he gets to the, the, the turning point of his sermon. It's found in Acts chapter 3, verse uh, 17. He said, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that Christ... His Christ would suffer. Verse 19. He said, this is your part. Now that you know what you did in ignorance was wrong, your part is to repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent and turn to God. See, repentance is more than just believing like God. Or, excuse me, repentance is more than just being sorry. Repentance is more than just going, oops, my bad. Repentance is recognizing that you are far from the Father. And so you say, you know, I'm nowhere close to where my Father wants me, and I'm nowhere close to where I need to be, so I am going to turn and go back to the Father. Now, Jesus tells us a story to make this very, very clear. We learn best through stories, I think, and I think Jesus knew that. Jesus tells this story of a father who had two sons. One of the sons came to him, the younger son, and said, Dad, listen, I've got to go. I'm itching to get outside and experience the world. I don't, we, we don't know if they had any type of fight or, 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 or anything rough going on. All we know is that the son wanted his money, his inheritance, and his father gave it to him. His father said, here's your inheritance. And his father, no doubt, would have been heartbroken and would have been just, just uh, 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 emotionally uh, uh, despondent at the fact that his son was now taking all of his inheritance to go squander it. See, the, things about, the thing about dads is this. We've been there before. We know what it's like to be 16 and 17. Moms too, by the way. It's not just dads. But we understand what it was like to be young. And so we kind of get what anybody younger than us is going through. Maybe not exactly the same, but we were there. And so when we want to help and, and the child says, 
see you, I'm out. There's a certain amount of pain there. And then the son, according to Jesus, left and went into wild living. Man, he was partying. After all, he had just come into his inheritance. He had all kinds of friends and he had all kinds of wild parties with all kinds of things that they would enjoy. And then one day it came time to pay the tab and he pulled out his wallet and he realized he had nothing left. And when he said to the, to the bartender, we have nothing, I have nothing left, all of his friends left. Left him outside in the cold. And the Bible tells us in this story that he then asked person after person after person for a job and the only thing he could find was to feed pigs. This was a great insult to a Jewish man. Especially a Jewish son of a wealthy successful father obviously the father according you know based on what we read in the story he wasn't poor he had land and he had animals and he had servants so he came from a a a a high level of living and he found himself where the only thing he could do was work in a pig pen and he said to himself these pigs are eating better than me he said to himself these pigs are sleeping better than me there was a great sadness And I think maybe that what was going on in his heart, just maybe, this is just me thinking, I could be wrong here. I think that he wasn't just thinking that the pigs were eating better. I think that he was longing and missing, longing for and missing the relationship that he once had with his father. So he came to his senses. In the story, Jesus said he came to his senses. He saw what was going on. And he said, I know what I will do. I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned. I have done wrong. If you will just make me a servant, I will serve you. I think, I think that it was not just about having a place to lay his head and food to eat. I think he wanted to be back in the presence of his father because he had seen how cruel the world was and knew that his father was good. And so he started his way back. When he got to the, to the edge of the property, he saw this man running. He said, Who is that? You see, his father had been on the porch scanning the horizon day after day, waiting for his son to come home. That is our God. Our God is waiting for His people, for His creation to come home. You know what grieves the heart of God? It's not that you offend the law. It's that you have said to God, I don't want you. Sin is nothing more than saying to God, I don't want you and I don't need you. I don't trust you. I don't believe you. And sin has a promise of fun, doesn't it? I mean, after all, we would not sin if there were not some sense of pleasure in it. We would not set out on our own if there were not shiny things all around to say, come and play with me. 
And we are so human, aren't we? We have everything we will ever need in God the Father, and yet we turn to anything that flashes, thinking that somehow we will find satisfaction in those things. But the Bible tells us, and God reveals himself as all-sufficient as a Savior. The goal of a believer is not to stay away from sin. The goal of a believer is to be in relationship with Jesus. We've got, we're looking at this differently. Think of it this way. The goal of, of losing weight is not so we'll be skinny. The goal of losing weight so we'll be healthy. And when we try to lose weight, here's what most of us do. We look at all the food we cannot eat. We look and we shed a tear for that bowl of ice cream that no longer can be a reality, right? We're looking at all that we're giving up, but in reality, we're not giving up anything that compares to what we're gaining. And we can look at that from a, from a weight perspective, from, a health, from any perspective. Repentance is not about giving up something as much as it is gaining the relationship with God that he purposed for us in the very beginning. So the scripture says, repent then and turn to God. Repent and turn to God. Now, two particular times when repentance is preached. One by John the Baptist. John the Baptist, in, in the Gospel of John, you, or excuse me, the Gospel of Luke uh, as well, you, you find recorded that, that John preaches a baptism of repentance. And when he does that, he also says, now... Do the works of repentance. Let the fruit of repentance be evident in your life. So I'm turning from sin and I'm turning to God. But really what I'm doing is I'm, I'm giving up what is not good for someone who is good. And when I do that, there is by definition no other choice but for there to be a change in my life. I was, I was putting on my suit this morning because First Baptist I wear a suit. And I was, um, I was, you know, I have a mirror because I don't want to look goofy. Of course, you're like, yeah, apparently you need a better mirror, right? Um, so I was putting on my suit, and, and I noticed that my pants were a little bit, little bit loose. Now, I was wearing an old suit that I'd bought like five, no, actually probably eight years ago. And I go, man, this thing, this thing fits good. I mean, I've, I've, I've been working, and I've been losing, I've lost about eight pounds or so. And, and I noticed that, man, it, 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 it's loose, and it's good, and then I look in my, my, my closet in there and I go, well, I have two brand new suits that I bought this summer, but I bought them for the bigger me. And now my brand new suits don't fit anymore. My old suits do. And I had this thought, isn't that the way we live our life? We go, man, my pants are too tight. These things must have shrunk in the dryer. Right? First we blame somebody else, and then we go, well, oh, I can't wear these anymore. I'll just buy new clothes. As opposed to, I'll just shed some of the weight. Think about this. I think this is a very, very important point. When it comes to our relationship with God, instead of fitting into what God says... By repentance and turning to God, we simply want to change the rules so that God will fit us. Here's the problem with that. God doesn't change. 
The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here's what will happen if you try to change God to fit you. You will go on a very fast, slippery slope into absolute and abject brokenness. Because once you say, that part of the Bible doesn't fit me anymore, so let's just adjust the, what it, let, let's adjust the meaning of it to fit what I want it to fit. The moment you do that, everything else falls like dominoes. And you can see this all day long in our culture. You can see it in churches and in denominations. People would say, why are you so, why are you so confident that the Word of God is the Word of God? Well, because if it's only kind of the Word of God, then I can't trust any of it. How, how can I say, well, that part doesn't work, but I want this part? And notice we always want the parts that benefit us to work and the other stuff we want to change. Does that make sense? So instead of fitting my, instead of fitting my life to God through repentance, I want to fit God to me. And the Bible says we can't do that. Repent and turn to God... And here's the promise. Here's what happens. I'm so excited about this. I've been waiting all night to tell you this. When we do that, the Bible says, so that your sins may be wiped out. So that your sins may be blotted out. Maybe may be washed away. Now, whiteboard, right? So here's what happens. In our life, we, 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 we reject God. Again, that's what sin is. It's a rejection of God. Now, it looks a lot of different ways. It could be pride. It could be sexual sin. It could be, um, it could be uh, ego. It could be any of those things. But whatever it looks like, ultimately, it is a rejection of the relationship that God wants with us, right? So that's sin. So we sin, right? But because we have a conscience, because we have the fingerprint of God in our life, we recognize that, that even though we may not call it sin, we know something's wrong. And it's in every culture. Every culture, and no matter what faith the person is, when, when brokenness exists in a person's life, things don't work right. I have a bicycle that I've been working on. It's, it's coming along, actually. And, and what I've noticed is that uh, I had to line up the drive line. In other words, the chain had to be straight between the rear uh, the sprocket and the front sprocket, right? And if it's not straight, if it's crooked, it, it makes a bunch of noise and, it, and eventually it comes off of the sprocket, right? In order for that to work, it has to be lined up straight. So people know that when something's wrong in their life, even though they don't know necessarily that it's sin... They're living in brokenness. They're living in a, a messed up uh, 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 relationships, messed up life. And so they're going, why can't I get this right, right? So they try to cover their sin. They try to fix the brokenness in whatever way they can think to do it. And sometimes it's, I'm going to do good in order to fix the brokenness. I'm going to try to make up for it. By, by helping old ladies across the street. I'm going I'm to uh, uh, do things that, that benefit society. And we go, okay, well, maybe, maybe I can fix... You know, that's why you see a lot of famous people doing a lot of um, generous things. They're always coming up with a cause. Why? Because people need to have some sense of health in their life. They need to have some sense of purpose. That's the biggest thing that they can find. But guess what? 
it only kind of covers up a little bit. And it really doesn't take it away, it just hides it. In fact, there's a, there's a little bit on here, and there's still some on the board. But as we live our life, we, we have to continually try to cover up what's going on. And eventually, for some people, it leads to trying to just numb the pain. We realize we can't fix the problem, so let's just numb the pain. Let's take uh, uh, opioids, or let's drink something, or let's get into relationships that are, that are not healthy because we're wanting to figure out, how do we fix this? Y'all with me? But we keep over and over and over. And again, sin is simply rejecting the lordship of Christ in your life. It's saying, God, I don't want you, I don't need you. And no matter how much we try, we just can't clean it up. Here's what the Bible says. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Here is what that means. For your sins to be wiped out, according to the scriptures, according to the original language of the text... It doesn't just mean being set aside. It doesn't just mean being covered. It means they are wiped away. They are completely disappeared. They are as if they were never there. And there's no residue at all. When you and I repent... When we say to God, God, I've been going away from you. I've been doing these things, but I realize I'm in the pig slop. So God, I turn to you because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not thinking right. And I want to know you. We have turned to a father who says, if you'll give me this liberty, he says, so, so now look behind you. I've thrown your sin as far as the east is from the west. Now let's just take this moment, if I can. Because the number one of the tricks of the enemy for believers is to condemn them through shame and through guilt of the past. There may be somebody in here who did something at some point. You said something, you did something, you went somewhere, and it is, it is crushing you because you claim to follow Jesus, and look what you did. You may not have even been a believer then, but still, you carry the weight and the guilt of that. The Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if God has thrown your sin as far as the east is from the west, it is not that he cannot remember it, he's God. It's that he chooses to not remember it. He chooses to wipe away the slate so that you have a completely clean heart. What it is, is he has given you the righteousness of Christ Jesus. We call that imputed righteousness. That means you didn't earn it or deserve it, but it was given to you because of the grace of God. Righteousness of Christ Jesus is what? He's perfect. So when you repent and turn to Christ, that is who you become. You become one whose sin has been blotted out. Oh, but wait, there's more. It's even better because 
when I talk, when I asked the, the, you know, what have you done that was so bad that, that keeps coming back? What you've done is not anything worse than the people that he was talking about. Because listen, he says, repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. What sins is he talking about? If you go back just a few verses, uh, starting in verse 14, actually start in verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant. Ready? You handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be set free. You killed the author of life. The author of life, the founder, the creator, the originator of life itself. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. So when Peter says to the crowd... Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. He was saying so that kill, the, the, the guilt of slaying Jesus would be wiped away. To look at your hands and say they are no longer bloodied. That's powerful. I... I'm going to say... I feel like there's somebody in this room who has done something that even though you've asked for forgiveness, you have, you have prayed about it, you've, you've, you've confessed it, all those things, you are still living your life under the weight of the shame and the guilt of what it is that you did. And I believe God wants you to know that you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus because repentance isn't just a halfway deal. When you turn to God, your sin is blotted out. If that is you, I want you to know that God, God has forgiven you. So, The next part is really cool too because he said your sin may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I told you before that there were two people who I was going to tell you said repent. One was John the Baptist. The other one was Jesus. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus said repent or perish. Repent or die. Repent or have a life that is constantly broken that will never be fixed. See, I think that times of refreshing are needed in our own life. Now, that's not specifically what the, the, this is talking about a specific kind of refreshing. But, but let, me, let me just expand on this a little bit. Our lives are a broken mess without a right relationship with God. And since God wasn't the mo one who walked out, it's you and I who must turn and start towards the Father. But if, you, but if you can think of it this way, one step of yours is matched by a hundred steps of our Father. It, it's that old, you had me at hello, right? I mean, it's, it's, this, it's this 
All he's, all he's longing for is just a turn. That is our Father. So times of refreshing, what is he talking about? Remember, this is a Jewish crowd. And so times of refreshing is the promise of the Messiah. It's the promise of a kingdom that is perfect. Because remember, the Israelites, the Jews, were under slavery and they were under persecution. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, they have been chased and they have been killed and they have been butchered. And, and they were looking for the Messiah, the one who would save them as God's people. And Peter was saying that when you repent and turn away from your sin and you trust in God, in his provision, he will give you the time of refreshing that you've been seeking. Now Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 7 that the time and the hour is not known. Only the Father in heaven knows. That word time or times is the same word that's used here. It's not it's not an, it, 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 it points to a specific time, a place, a, a, a definite um, a realization of times of refreshing. In other words, for a period of time, there's struggle and there's brokenness and all this, but there's coming a time when God says, enough, I am going to restore my kingdom fully. This is important for you and for me because the Bible says that Jesus Christ, though he came one time as a baby, the next time he's going to come as a king. And all of this garbage that we're dealing with is going to be dealt with. And when times of refreshing come, there's no more brother against brother. There's no more nation against nation. Why? Because we will be one people under one king. And we will speak one language because we have one Lord of all. There will be no more crying, there will be no more shame, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more brokenness, there will be no more lying, there will be no more tears, there will be no more loss. Jesus Christ will come and he will restore his kingdom and times of refreshing means all things will be just as God initially made them. Perfect. And as he's preaching this to them, Peter then explains that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament and all of the prophets between then and that time. And for, for time, I won't go through all the rest of the verses, but what we need to see here is that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the Garden of Eden initially was. Does that make sense? Let me say it differently. The Garden of Eden, they walked with God. They were naked and they felt no shame. They had full reign of the garden except for the one tree. There was nothing broken. There was no death. There was no sin. When the Messiah comes the next time, that is what he will restore. The kingdom that he initially had built in Eden. Does it make sense? So, here's how this ends. Verse 25, And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The range of the gospel... The range of God's 
restoration is the ends of the earth. In fact, in, uh, in Luke, at the very last chapter, there were some disciples that were walking along and they, they came across Jesus and Jesus began to open up their minds to the scriptures that the Bible says. And he started all the way, way back with the Old Testament and the prophets and he walked them all the way to the present time and he ended with this. He said, everything that the prophets said, I am the fulfillment of that. And then he said, repentance will be preached to the ends of the earth. Repentance and forgiveness will be preached to the ends of the earth. In other words, he was giving his disciples their marching orders. I wonder, how are we doing at preaching repentance? I'm not suggesting that you stand on the corner with a sign. That may not be very fruitful. But I am suggesting that the heartbeat of repentance is returning into a relationship with the Father. Each and every day, you and I need a relationship with our Father. Each and every day, our family needs a relationship with the Father. Each and every day, the people we work with, the people we play with, our neighbors, our friends, need a relationship with the Father. You know, um, as my kids have brought friends home to our house to eat our food, it, 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 it's a joy. Not always, but mostly it's a joy to welcome people into the family. Don't, don't get me wrong, it's a struggle. Kind of hard to walk around in your underwear when you got your friend's kids there. Actually, when your kids are there, probably shouldn't do it anyways, but it's, I'm joking, I'm joking. Just a little humor. But you know, it, it's a joy for, for, for their friends to, to, to enjoy our house as a home. Because we welcome people in our family, don't we? And I've been in many of your houses, and you do the same thing. You're sitting on the couch, hey, can I grab a drink? Yeah, it's back there. We must buy cheese sticks by the, by the hundreds in my house, really. It's like, where did all the cheese sticks go? Oh, yeah, we had people here this week. Could you just go and help yourself to a cheese stick. But you know what? It's good. That's good. Because family, family's the reason we exist, isn't it? I wonder, who is not a part of God's family that God has given you influence with and over. Who is it that you can help be the, the way to restore their relationship back to the Father? You don't need to hold a sign. You know what? I've found that you just need to, to speak words of life. Be consistent in your walk. I've, I've got some friends who they... I, it, <laughs> It's funny because you, you, you can see the progression of questions, right? You make a new friend, you're in a new crowd, and as you're there, consistent, hopefully faithful, their questions start out as jokes, but then they start to be real questions, and eventually, hopefully, it leads to, hey, I want to know this Jesus you seem to, to live. Isn't that what it's all about? And isn't that ultimately satisfying? Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? I want to invite you, if you're in this room or if you're watching by Facebook, 
to repent and turn to God so that your sin may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing will come from the Lord. I want to invite you to return to the God who made you. It is as simple as saying, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin has led me only to pain and to brokenness and to separation. But God, you loved me and you sent your only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not die, but would have everlasting life. So God, I place my heart in your hands and I ask you to forgive me and restore the relationship that you built me for. And God, I want to serve you the rest of my days. In this place this morning, I wonder, who is it that just trusted Jesus? My prayer last night, my prayer this morning was, God, send us somebody who will hear the gospel and believe. I want that so badly for you, but I can't do it for you. And I can't tell you that everything in your life is going to just turn all of a sudden and be perfect. No, that's not the way it works. But what you get is a clean slate for God to begin to mold you and shape you the way He wants to. And because you're yielding to Him, He works mighty work inside of you. This morning, if you're here and maybe there's some things in your life that you know are wrong and you haven't really repented on it. You've just kind of wiped it under the rug, put it to the side. That that is never going to be dealt with until you repent. Repentance is God offering His grace to you. Will you do that this morning? And if you're the one that I was talking about, that you are living under the cloud of some decision you made long ago, I want to invite you to experience the complete forgiveness of Jesus Christ so that you don't have to live under guilt any longer. Father in heaven, I pray for your people. I pray for those who are stepping into the kingdom even now. I pray, God, that you would make this passage so very alive inside of our hearts. God, I thank you for your goodness, and I ask that even in this moment, we would know that you're here. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand? We're going to sing for just a moment. I want to invite you to respond as God would lead you to respond.